our big give offering. That's the envelope that you received today. And we together are going to come, come together in unity and we're going to sacrifice. Amen. Somebody say sacrifice. We're going to sacrifice uh, together to see God's vision established. And here's the thing you need to understand. Wherever there's unity, the Bible says God commands a blessing. So you don't have to worry about inflation. You don't have to worry about all this stuff going on. When we sacrifice, God makes a distinction. God makes a distinction and he commands a blessing. And so we're going to come together in unity and God's going to do something powerful in our lives. And, and, and let me tell you something. You don't have to worry about uh, the, the, what the enemy's trying to steal. God makes a distinction. He wants to bless you. Then, then the following, right after our, our, our big give offering, we go into a two-week two-week um, um, period, which I'm calling Passion Week. And Passion Week, we know, is we have Palm Sunday, all right, the, the, the week before uh, um, um, Easter. Uh, we also have our Good Friday worship night in the amphitheater, but we're also going to have all kinds of service projects and outreaches going to be going on in that two-week period leading up to Easter Sunday on April 17th. And then we're going to celebrate uh, on the 24th, the week after Easter, we're going to baptize everybody that's given their life to Christ over this period. It's going to be amazing, all right? That's a snap shot of what's going to be going on around here. I'm grateful that you're a part of it. I, I, I think we should bring, a, bring along a few more to be a part of what God's doing here. Now, this morning, I want to get into this message because it's crazy to me how our world lives in this constant state of fear and panic and crisis. It's like a, a never-ending cycle of crisis and outrage. There's, this world is full of drama queens, has anybody noticed that? Like, like, like uh, there's one crisis, and as soon as that one starts to dwindle down, somebody comes up with something else that we should be frightened about. Have you noticed that? It's just this constant cycle of fear and crisis and panic 24-7. It, it's everything from war to, to inflation to, to, to the drought in California to corruption and, and new variants and weather patterns and all of these things going on. And, and there's, there's this constant cycle in our world of fear and, and and we shouldn't be um we shouldn't be surprised by that because second timothy tells us that god has not given you a spirit of fear which tells us that there is a spirit of fear at work in our in our world today it's an attack from the enemy to place fear in our hearts but but here's the thing the world comes at us with fear, but God gives us three weapons of defense to, to, over, to overtake it. He's given us power and love and a, and a sound mind. And so fear is a principality and a power in our world today. It's the, it's the thing that comes upon us and causes us to think, you know, uh, I better not say anything. I, I, I better not do anything. I, I, I better just shut up and, or else you know, I'll get canceled. Someone might get offended. I might hurt someone's feelings. I might get a thumbs down on my, on my post. I, I better just back down, back off, bow down, shut up, and just kind of go away. Fear is like a wet blanket that, 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 that Satan wants to put over our lives, to put out the fire of God that's in your heart. And it's a spirit, and we need to recognize that God is trying to say, that spirit is not from me. He's saying, I haven't given you that spirit. I've given you power and love and sound mind. So for every one thing that the enemy comes at you with, God's given you three missiles of defense to overtake fear. Can somebody shout amen? And so this is why the church is so important. Like the body of Christ is so important, I need you to perceive this for a moment. The church is the pillar of truth in society. 
The church is what communicates truth to principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, all right? The church is not here for our comfort. It's not just the place we go hang out on the weekend. The church is not here for our comfort. It's here to transform the world. Hello, somebody. It's here to transform the world. It's here to glorify Jesus. And so we're going to be those kind of people in this kind of hour. All right? All right, there's lots of churches you can go to. But we're not ones that are just going to stand by and just kind of allow things to go on. We're going to speak to the darkness. Are you with me today? We are those people in that church. Embrace it. Are you with me today? We are those people. We're not your nice little quiet, comfy church. That's not who we are. That's not Elevate Ministries. All right? I, I, I know that we're not the church for everybody. I completely understand that. We're not trying to be a mega church. We're trying to be a, a, a church full of warriors. People that aren't afraid to back down, aren't, aren't willing to back down. And I know there's a lot of different ways for, for God's people to plug in and lots of churches. And I think we need more churches and better churches. I think we need more pastors and better pastors. I, I am a pro-kingdom guy. I'm not here to bash other churches. I know, though, that this church is not the place for everybody. And, and that's okay. I do believe that this is a place for a lot of people. I believe that this is a place for a lot of people. So we're going to do what we can to be who God's asked us to be in this hour. Somebody shout amen. So there's a story in Acts chapter 12. And if you have your Bibles, you can kind of open up there this morning as I, be, as I try to lay the foundation. But there's a story in Acts chapter 12. It centers on the, the, the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' personal disciples, and, and a story in the New Testament church. And here's the thing, and what you got to grab a hold of, in order to perceive where we're going, sometimes you got to look back. Sometimes you have to know where we've been in order to get where we're going. Are, are you with me today? Sometimes in order to go forward, we have to go look back a little bit. We have to know where we've come from. And that's why the book of Acts is in the Bible. The book of Acts is in the Bible. It's not just a, a grouping of stories. I mean, there's a lot of fascinating stuff that happens in the book of Acts. But it's not just a, a book of stories of things that Jesus did. What it describes is our heritage. What it describes is, is it's, it's the blueprint of the original church. The church that you're in today, this is its roots. This is the DNA of the church. And when we read the book of Acts, it, it, it begins to describe to us what the church should be and how the church should operate. And so a lot of times when you compare the, the church in the first century in the book of Acts to the church of the 21st century that we're a part of today, a lot of times there's, it provides quite a bit of contrast be between what happened then and what's going on now. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so even though in the 21st century we've got better programs, uh, we've, got, we've, got, we've got better metrics, we've got fancier lights, we've got nice screens, we've got, we've got, we've got nice buildings, and, and all of these things, there seems to be something missing in the church. And I think what's missing is the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So you can fake a lot of things, but you can't fake the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How many know that to be true? You can't fake it. A gift, someone can have a natural gift, and that natural gift will, will give you goosebumps, but the anointing of God is what breaks the yoke, all right? The anointing of God is what sets people free, and the anointing of God has no explanation because it can't be taught. 
No one's going to be able to teach you. It comes from God. You can't teach anointing. So when God places an anointing on your life, don't bother trying to explain it to anyone else. Just get your eyes on the prize and begin to move forward into what God's called you to do. And here's what you need to grab a hold of. God can do a lot more with a lot less if he can find people willing to do it his way. So we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what we've decided here at Elevate. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He knows how the story ends, and we're just going to play our part and do our part in the story that God is writing for the world today. Amen. So in Acts chapter 12, there's a story about Peter, and there's some persecution going on. But what I want to center in on is what the, the response of the church. And what you've heard me say over the last little while, the past few months, is that all throughout history, from the beginning of time all the way till now, there's always been chaos. Chaos didn't start in 2020. I know some of you think it did, but that's not when chaos ensued. All throughout history, if you just open up your Bible and just begin to read, you're going to see chaos and, and all kinds of persecution. You're going to see suffering and you're going to see problems. But every time that you see the rise of chaos or the rise of evil, you also see along with it a response of the saints. You, you see the people of God begin to rise up in the face of persecution and stand up and do what God's called them to do. Now, here's the thing. I love the church. I love the concept of the church. I love how the church is organized. There's a lot of cool things that you can associate with the church. But there's one thing that God promised that the gates of hell can't stand against, and that's the church. I'm glad to be a part of the church. Now, I know that the, 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 the gates of hell cannot come against the church, cannot over, overtake the church, but that doesn't mean it won't try. So in Acts chapter 12, we get a picture of this, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says that it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who, and just underline there, belonged to the church. You can just underline those, those, those four words. King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, and his intention was to persecute them. He already had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this was met with the approval among the Jews, he, he then proceeded to seize Peter as well. And this happened during the Passover. And after arresting him, Herod put him into prison, handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So it's 16 against one. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now I want to point out a couple of things before we move on from this portion of the text. The Bible says that Herod arrested those who belonged to the church. First and foremost today, you need somewhere you belong. You need somewhere you belong. What's, what's amazing to me is that Herod's not a Christian. Like, he's not a part of the church. He's actually a, a deviant, pagan, political leader. He's a government official, all right? He's, he's the first century equivalent to Gavin Newsom, all right? I'm just going to say it, all right? He's messed up in the head. That, that's, that's, that's the bottom line, all right? But even this guy, this pagan leader, was able to identify people who belong to the church. Did you hear that today? Here's what you need to grab a hold of. We don't just belong to God. We also belong to the family of God. 
You belong to the church. You belong to the bride of Christ, all right? The church. You belong to the thing that Jesus gave his life to build. You belong to the organization that's been washed by his own blood. You belong to the institution that God set up to be the pillar of truth of society. It's not just that we belong to God. We also belong to the family of God, all right? I'll try to explain it like this. You don't get to be friends with me without being friends with my wife. Well, let me help you understand it because you, you're not getting it. Maybe that seems obvious. Let me flip it around. You don't get to be friends with my wife without also being friends with me, okay? Maybe you go to Carrie and say, Carrie, hey, we would really like to hang out with you. You're so sweet. You're so wonderful. You're so beautiful. We'd love to spend some time with you. Just don't bring your husband along. Because we really only like you. You can just go ahead and leave Adam. Here, here, I want to tell you something. Unfortunately, you don't get to pick and choose. All right, if you want to be friends with my wife, you also must get along with me because we are a package deal, all right? We're one flesh. We're, we're together. And here's the thing. If you belong to Christ, that means it's also mandatory that you belong to his church. You don't get to pick and choose, all right? A lot of people try to get a little bit spiritual about this and, 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 and try to say, well, you know, uh, uh, you know I, 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 like, uh, I like Jesus and I, I love God and I love his word, but I, I, really don't, I, really don't, I really don't like the church too much. I just don't seem to fit in with the church. I just, I just don't really want, listen, you can't, you don't get to pick and choose that. The church and Christ are hand in hand. They are one. And you need to belong somewhere. You need a church, somebody. You, you need a church family. You need a church to call home. Your life will flourish as a byproduct of being planted in the house of God. The Bible talks, David talks about oaks of righteousness that are planted in the house of God. And that's why we believe not, that we're not busy bees pollinating all of the different churches and all the cool things happening in the church world. We don't do that because we believe that we're supposed to be planted somewhere. Are you with me today? We're supposed to be planted somewhere. God has called me to this church. God's called many of you to this church. And I just think we're better together. I just think we're better together. That God placed us here on purpose. We're meant to gather in person and on purpose. And so today is our e-group launch. Many of you, when you walked in the building this morning, you saw a little, uh, 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 what's it called? A display. It's a pillar right in the middle of the, of the foyer, and it says e-groups on it. And there was 15 different scan codes that you could go around and see all of the different groups that are launching in the spring season, which means right now. You can open up your app this morning, and the front page of your app, you can click on e-groups, and all 15 of those groups will populate, and you'll see different ways that you can get connected. We have marriage groups, and we have women's groups. We have men's groups. We have, we have youth uh, 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 groups. We have study groups, fellowship groups, prayer groups. There is a place for you to belong. Help me out this morning. There's a place for you to belong. And it's important that you find your place. Well, I don't know anybody. That's a problem. You need to do something about that, all right? And the way you, the way you know people is not by running out as soon as we say amen. The way you get to know people is not by coming in once the service has already started. The way you get to know people is by being a, being a person that, that has known. 
It's as simple as that, all right? And so what I love in our text today is how this demonized sexual deviant by the name of King Herod, even he was able to identify people that belonged to the church. He wasn't saved. He, wasn't, he didn't have a relationship with God. He probably never walked in the church. But he could point people out who belonged to the church. And I think that needs to be said of us. I think when people see our lives, whether we're at work or at school, whether we're walking in the public square, I believe people should be able to identify that we belong to the church. Listen, we don't only belong to God, we belong to God's family. Come on. We belong to the bride of Christ and Jesus, his bride, the church. Amen. Somebody shout amen today. The second thing I see in this, in this text is this. Our voice matters. Our voice matters. What you need to understand is that Satan hates anything God loves. He hates anything God loves. And so Satan is going to oppose it. He's going to minimize it. He's going to make accusations against it. He's going to try to destroy the thing that God loves. Satan hates the bride of Christ. Did you hear me today? Satan hates the church. So the gates of hell will not, cannot stand against the church, but it doesn't mean they won't try to. So Satan has been trying from day one to stop the church. He's been trying to, to destroy the church. And we see that even in our text in verse 1. The Bible says King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, and his intention was to persecute them. Now what you need to grab a hold of is he's already killed James. And that's, that's already made some people happy, believe it or not. I mean, he, he's already started. And, and what he's trying to do now is he's arrested Peter, and he's trying to send a message to the, all the disciples that we're shutting this thing down. You aren't going to be able to do what, what, what you're trying to do. The vision you have to change the world with the gospel of Christ, King Herod's like, I'm shutting it down. I'm killing James, and I'm going to seize Peter, who's, your, who's, your, who's your, one of your main apostles. And so you see Satan, he's, 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 he's developing outrage in the community. He's trying to cancel the church. He's trying to disrupt their vision. Isn't that how the persecution works? I mean, we've seen that happen right here, all right? And, and I'm, I, I'm not trying to be like, you know, you know woe is me. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that we're, we're you know, ex experiencing the level of persecution that's going on around the world. I'm not trying to do that. But persecution, this is how it works. It doesn't start with persecution. It's much slower than that. It starts with harassment. And then harassment leads to disruption. And disruption leads to interference. And then interference leads to persecution. It doesn't start out as persecution. It starts out as suggestions. And then it turns to guidelines. And then mandates. And then edicts. And then press releases. And then legislation. And, and before you know it, the church has become ineffective. And we've seen this happen in our world. Churches that had, been, that had doors open for decades, they've closed and they've not reopened. Entire congregations of God's people, who knows where they even are? Are, are you with me today? And all of a sudden, the church becomes ineffective. We've closed our doors just trying to go along with society, being swayed by public opinion. Now, I don't have a persecution of complex, so that's not what I'm suggesting today. I mean, the only thing that we experienced in the face of some of the persecution that we've had is, is we got some nasty messages. And some people wrote some, got into my DMs and said some stuff. People left the church. 
got a little angry with us, left some nasty reviews, some emails and stuff. But we don't walk around going, you know, woe is me, I can't believe it, you know, because we're not victims, all right? I'm not a victim of the narrative. I, I'm, I'm, I'm an overcomer in Christ Jesus. I, I'm not just a conqueror, I'm more than a conqueror. Come on, are you with me today? But I'm also not blind to what Satan has done throughout history. There's nothing new, is what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make. I know where this leads. And so sometimes you look at us and maybe see some of the things that we've done and maybe ask the question, why do they speak out like they do? I mean, why, why do they push back so hard? And why do we develop public statements like we have over the issues that we face? Can't we just kind of go with the flow and just kind of do what everyone else is doing? No, we can't because the church has a prophetic responsibility to be a voice to the culture. Did you hear that? We have a prophetic responsibility to speak to the culture. We must be a voice of truth into a culture that's led by the father of lies. Somebody shout amen. God says that the church is the pillar of truth. What's a pillar? A pillar is the thing that holds up society. It holds up the building. It's the strength of the building. The, the, the church can't be a pillar of truth if we're not speaking it. Like it, it's, it's not possible. And so we've decided that we're going to be a voice even if, if it's offensive. I don't care if it hurts your feelings. And you say, well, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. That doesn't sound very loving. Shouldn't the church, you know, just be more like Christ? I mean, if we would just concentrate on being more like Christ, well, then more people would like us. That sounds reasonable, but I have a memo for you. They killed Jesus. They killed him. Jesus says, if they hated me, guess what? They'll hate you too. So I'm not trying to, to, to make people mad. I'm not trying to be disliked. But I do know this. We have a prophetic responsibility. Are you with me today? So Herod intended his interference to lead to persecution. He was taking it somewhere. But I want to tell you something. What you're a part of, the church of Jesus Christ, is stronger than government forces. Are you with me today? We are a part of something that has further reach than the arm of the government. We belong to something much deeper than a well-funded program. We belong to the kingdom that is unshakable. The Bible says that we are advancing by force and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So we belong to the thing that God himself builds. We belong to the church. And I want you to think about this. Herod was the guy who had John the Baptist killed. All right? Herod had John the Baptist put to death. Now, I want you to understand who John the Baptist is. Jesus recognized John the Baptist as the greatest prophet of all time. So you need to grab a hold of this. So John, Herod kills John the Baptist. And the, and the, and the question is, why would he do that? Well, I'll tell you why. The reason Herod killed John the Baptist is because John the Baptist confronted him about his sin. Herod was having an affair with his brother's wife. And so John publicly confronted the government, the highest government official of his day. And so let me ask you a question that I'm going to answer. Why did John care about the marital status of the ruling political leader of his day? Why did he even care? I mean, what, who cares? Why did John even have an opinion on who Herod slept with? 
It doesn't seem like it's important. Why should the greatest prophet of all time, according to Jesus, have any say about Herod's sexual relationships? I mean, it seems like Herod, I mean, John should just kind of keep to himself. Why disrupt it? I mean, he could say something that might get other disciples killed. Why just leave well enough alone, let Herod do what he wants to do. Let, let the church just kind of, let the church just kind of uh, uh, get along okay. But, but, but here's the thing that we need to understand, and this is, where the, this is where we hear the argument all the time about the separation between church and state. You know, and somehow the picture is that the church just kind of stay out of the affairs of the public and stay out of the affairs of the schools and out of the government and all that stuff, that the church should kind of just go sit in the corner and mind its own business and, and keep its mouth shut. That the church should not comment on political issues. After all, Romans 12 tells us that we should submit to governing authorities. Well, apparently, the greatest prophet of all time didn't agree with that sentiment. Because he publicly confronted the ruling political leader of his day and confronted him with his deviant sin. And I love what the scripture is communicating. The principle that we see right here in this text is that John the Baptist understood something. Herod's sin wasn't a political issue. It was a spiritual issue. Are you with me today? Let me try to explain what I'm talking about. It wasn't a political issue that was going on in Herod. It was a spiritual issue that was trying to work its way down to the rest of the population. And John the Baptist wasn't okay with it. And so let me try to explain it in common everyday terms. Politicians that don't believe in gender don't get to tell us to trust the science. Hello, somebody. Are you with me today? Is the church alive and awake today? Politicians that don't believe that life begins in the womb don't get to lecture me on morality. Politicians that believe that the government should be the greatest force in raising our children don't get to redefine the family unit. Are you with me today? So this isn't about left versus right. That's not what we're talking about. It's about right versus wrong. It's about righteous versus unrighteous. It's about good versus evil. Are you with me today? It's not political, it's spiritual. And so there's a lot of people that they love Elevate as long as we just kind of stay in our little corner. They love us as long as we don't confront sin, expose lies, expose hypocrisy. As long as we just continue to help people that are addicted and feed people that are, that are less fortunate. As long as we're helping people and keeping to ourselves. But the moment we start speaking the truth to society, Satan gets mad. Because it's not a political issue, it's a spiritual issue. And the choice has to exercise his, its voice. You think abortion is political? Abortion isn't political. Abortion is modern day, day Baal worship. It's a sacrifice of children at the altar of Baal. You actually think that's a political issue that we shouldn't confront? Then you're delusional. This is not a political issue. This is a spiritual issue. It's an attack from Satan to take out an entire generation and decay the morality of this nation. It's a blatant attempt from the enemy to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Your voice matters. Hello, somebody. Your voice matters. Your public discourse into the public square, it matters. And the more the church silences its voice, the weirder the world gets. Have you noticed that? The church has to get loud. We've got to get loud and realize our voice matters. I wish somebody 
that cared about the spirit of truth would say, men are men and women are women. I wish somebody would say abortion is not okay. Human trafficking is not okay. Ignoring the poor is not okay. Fatherlessness is not okay. And you say separation of church and state. Do you know where that even came from? I'm tired of people talking about separation of church and state. For almost 2,000 years, the church had to go underground because religion was ruled by whoever was in power. There was no separation between the church and the state. There was no freedom to choose. The government in charge would dictate how we worship and who we worship. But there was a few brave pioneers that decided to risk it all, find a new land, establish a nation under God. Separation in a between church and state was not meant to keep the church out of the government. It was actually the opposite. It was meant to keep the government out of the church. Separation of church and state is not meant to keep the church stuck in the church. It was to keep the state out of the spiritual governing of the church. Are you with me? So why is John the Baptist commenting on anything that King Herod does? There's a principle being communicated here. And we need to understand it today. We see it in Acts chapter 12, that the voice of truth does not cower to society. The voice of truth will not cower to culture. Are you with me today? The voice of truth matters. It matters to have a voice because the voice of God, the truth of God has the power to change the world around us. If we just stop being scared of what the Bible actually says, it matters for you to say, no, parents should be the primary people involved in the raising of our children. It matters for you to be able to say, no, you don't get to redefine the family to suit your own sinful lust. No, you don't get to define on your terms where life begins because you're not the author of life god is are you with me today public theology matters come on your voice matters somebody say amen now here's what you need to understand is that when you speak up it's going to cause some conflict once in a while are you still with me are you good it's going to cause some conflict once in a while and and what we see in this text is that church had a boldness that produced conflict they didn't run from conflict like what we see in church today. They didn't run from, they didn't run from co conflict. It's time for, for us to stop asking God to shrink our conflict and instead ask God to grow our courage. You don't need less struggle. Come on. What you need is grace that is sufficient in the middle of the struggle. Are you with me today? You're not a victim. You're an overcomer. Sometimes we go through things, we think, man, well, I thought, well, you know, I, I've been serving God for a long time, and, you know, I thought, well, the, you know, the, the longer I serve the Lord, well, the easier it would get. That's not how it works. Because the longer you serve God, the more territory he's going to put you in charge of. And that means the more attack that you will face. Well, I thought, well, if I give, you know, the longer that I tithe, then, then I wouldn't really experience an attack on my finances. That's not how it works. When you begin to sacrifice and give to God what's his, Satan is going to attack your finances. Why? Because he knows that abundance is about to be poured out on you. Are you with me today? He's going to do everything he can to derail you from doing what God's word says. But we're not cowering to what, to what Satan does. We're, 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 we have courage for conflict. We're okay with it. And what I want you to see is what's next. I'm going to jump ahead in the text to verse 5. So what we've read about is Herod and Peter being arrested. So we're kind of hanging there. So, so Peter's arrested. 
He's surrounded by 16 soldiers. He's bound with chains. They take him in, they're taking him to the inner, inner part of the jail, and their intention is to bring him to public trial. He's probably done. Like, if we're honest, Peter's walking to that cell, and he's thinking, well, about to see Jesus. That's kind of what's going on in his mind, because he recognized James just got killed. And people were happy about it. And so, 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 so if people are happy about it, Herod's going to continue to do it. And so Peter's probably walking to that jail, thinking that the best days were behind him, thinking that there's no more for ministry for him, thinking that he's finished well, and, and he's going to see Jesus. But what I love is in verse 5, is that as Peter's locked up, surrounded by 16 soldiers, verse 5 says, the church began to earnestly pray. I love that. What the church did not do is get all nervous. What they, what they did not do is get all chaotic. They didn't have a panic attack. They didn't start like blowing up the phone lines. Oh my God, did you hear what happened? Oh my gosh, this is the end. Oh, what are we gonna do? They're coming for us next. That's not what they did. They didn't roll over and play dead. They didn't denounce the fact that they were Christians. They didn't issue a public apology to Herod. Just kidding. <laughs> we don't care. You can do whatever you want. They didn't cower in fear. They, Peter's locked up, and the Bible says the church began to earnestly pray. Now think about it. Who, who is Peter? He's the lead apostle. He's the church planter extraordinaire. He's Jesus' personal disciple. And so he, he gets... I'm going to finish strong this morning, all right? So they lock him up, but here's what happens. The church doesn't descend into chaos. They went to a place much deeper than that. They went to a place of prayer. Are you with me today? They went to a place of prayer, and they grabbed a hold, like what I was talking about earlier. They, by faith, grabbed a hold of the garment of Christ, and they refused to let go. And as a result of their prayer, God dispatched an angel and the angel marches into the, to the prison. It goes right to where Peter is. He's like, Peter, it's time to wake up. Peter's like out, you know, he's, he's like, I'm gonna get one last good, good sleep before I see Jesus, you know, I'm gonna be ready, be energized for that, you know, and he's like, Peter, get up. Peter thinks he's dreaming. You read it for yourself, Acts 12. He looks up, he sees the angel, and he's like, it's a good dream. So he follows the angel. He just, he just follows the angel, and the Bible says his chains fall off. All of a sudden, the Bible says the doors are kind of opening ahead of them. So Peter's just following the angel. No one's opening doors. They're just kind of opening them by themselves. Peter's like, this is so cool. This is amazing. I'm on my way to heaven. Yo, this is amazing. <laughs> right? Are you picturing this? He's out in the open now. He's out in the middle of, of, of society. He's walking around a neighborhood. And all of a sudden, he starts to think like, is this a dream or is this real? He starts rubbing his eyes. He's like, you know, kind of where am I? And I'm sure Peter began to think to himself, man, I thought my, my best days were behind me. I thought this is how it ended. I thought I was dead and gone. I thought I was living, in, my life was in the rear view mirror. I thought this was all a dream, but this is the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'm experiencing, I'm, I'm not done. God's not done. What I want you to grab a hold of about this part of the story is this, and this is the essence 
of this last point is that is, is this you can't do it alone didn't matter how talented Peter was he was talented it didn't matter all the experience that he had I mean he walked on water he walked with Jesus he, he saw Jesus from raised from the dead he, he I mean come on he didn't matter all of those experiences didn't matter how talented he was he couldn't open the door by himself he couldn't open the door by himself. None of us can do it alone. None of us are so gifted that no matter what we get into, we can just get out of it all by ourselves. No, we were created to do this together. Are you with me today? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm, I'm created to do this to, with you. We are created to do this together. We were created to do this together. That's why apostles need prophets and prophets need evangelists and evangelists need pastors and pastors need teachers. Why? Because when we do that well, what we create is this interdependent relationship where we're feeding off one another and we're sharpening one another and we're growing one another. And before long, we've created an army that's working together. All of our talents and all of our giftings being positioned in a one solid force to be a voice into this world and to transform this world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Come on somebody, if, if you believe that today, just lift your hand in this room. I thank God for the church. What a tremendous design that God created us to be a part of. God, I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters all around this room today. And I recognize this today, we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. So, Lord, even more, I pray that you'd bind us together. Lord, even more so than ever before, Lord, I pray that it'd be a unifying force of your spirit, God, that would sweep through this room, God. Lord, that you'd bring us together and draw us close. Lord, the things that have tried to divide us, Lord, the things that have tried to separate us, Lord, I pray we'd recognize and we'd put those things to the side. Lord, and we come together in unity. Lord, where there's unity, you command a blessing, Lord. And I pray, God, that you'd bind us together. You'd bind our hearts together that unite us in vision unite us in in, in in purpose unite us in destiny lord that as we walk this road lord as we're involved in all the see all the chaos and all of the disruption lord and all the all of the things around us lord it doesn't sway us it doesn't move us lord because we continue to stand lord after we've stood lord i pray we continue to stand and we stand together come on if that's you say you know what i'll stand i'll stand i'll be a part of the Thing that God is washed with his own blood. I'll be a part of the thing that Jesus gave his life for. I'll be a part of the church. Come on, lift your hands, throw them in the air, say, God, thank you. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your people, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Come on, lift your hands, let's worship him, God. We pray.
message real quick. Number one, you need somewhere you belong. You need somewhere you belong. I'm going to just tell you something. You belong here. God brought you here. Don't allow a lie from the enemy to try to pull you out of community. Don't allow a lie from the enemy to say, you know what, you don't fit. No one notices you. That's the enemy. He's good at what he does. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. Listen, don't allow that. You belong here. Turn to your neighbor. Reassure them today. You belong here. Come on. Tell them, you belong here. You're important here. You matter here. You are important in God's plan. Number two. Number two, listen up. Your voice matters. Your voice matters. It matters that you speak up. The truth that God's placed inside of your heart has got to come out. God didn't, God didn't put his truth in you so that it gets stagnant in your heart. It's meant to move. It's meant to move. You got to speak it out. Speak it out. I know I was talking, Jordan gave this, this um, message this morning. He's been holding that for three weeks. I told him it's probably not going to work during the marriage series. So you're going to have to hold on to that. But man, I'll tell you what, 8.30 in the morning, uh, the first service, he just stormed up on the stage. And I could tell that's been pent up inside of him for a long time. It's meant to move. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the truth of God is meant to come out. We've got to use our voice to get it out. Come on, how many will begin to speak truth wherever you're at? Whether it be your job, come on, your neighborhood, the people that you do life with. Come on, get it out. Get it out. Let it go. Come on. Your voice matters. And, and third thing, courage for conflict. When you speak the truth, it's going gonna, it's gonna to piss some people off. Well, you think you're holier than me? You're just religious? Listen, listen. If you're worried about conflict, you're at the wrong place, okay? You're in the wrong place. Satan hates Jesus, Satan's going to hate you. That's a Jesus. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. And so we, we want to pray, God, give us courage yes. Yes. for conflict. Boldness produces conflict, and we got to be okay with that. Come on, God wants to fill us with boldness. Some of you are saying, man, I don't know, man, I'm scared sometimes. Listen, God wants to give you boldness. Come on, right now, let me see your hands. You say, you know what? I need some boldness. I, I need a dose of boldness. Come on, lift your hands up. Come on, let's pray right now. Come on, right now, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray, Lord, that these, those with their hands raised, that you'd give boldness like lions. Lord, they won't even know where it came from, but there'll be some, such an energy, Lord, to speak out the truth. Lord, there'll be a boldness that would come out of them that they didn't even recognize where it came from. They don't even recognize themselves, God. Lord, fill them up, God, with boldness. A boldness that's able to withstand conflict, that doesn't run from it, doesn't cower from it, Lord, but stands in the face of it. And those, as we stand, we would get, we continue to stand, therefore. Come on, how many want to put your feet down and say, so you don't stand for what's right. I'm standing for the truth of God's word. I'm standing for what Jesus said. Lord, I pray the boldness that comes from you we thank you for it and lord we recognize we can't do it alone come on how many know that today you can't do it alone doesn't matter how talented you are doesn't matter how good you are how much you know peter couldn't unlock the doors for himself he needed some common people with some common names with some common giftings to get together and begin to pray and i tells you the power of the church is not in one superstar it's in a bunch of people saying you know what let's get together and let's let's raise some hell let's do something for god in our generation
passion that no one could ever think or ask or imagine. Let's do something wild that the generations will talk about for years to come. Come on, I don't know about you, but I think we can do all things through Christ. I believe that we're more than conquerors, that God's given us the kingdom, and we're part of a kingdom that's unshakable. Yeah. If you agree with that this morning, shout amen. Yeah. Come on, sing as the spirits move. As the spirits 